Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, guys. Hello. Yay. Hi, Mead. Hi, Christy. So excited to be here. Hey, Martha. Oh, my gosh. We're literally just so thrilled to have you. So much fun, y'all. We are so excited to share Martha Wright with y'all. She is a senior certified This Naked Mind coach, one of our friends, and someone who has spent 25 years in the wine industry previously from finding freedom from alcohol. And when I, just a little quick aside, when I joined, when I was in training to become a coach, I had heard about this coach who was doing these alcohol experiments in her wine cellar, y'all. And I was like, I've got to meet this. Like I, that was something that just completely blew my mind. I was like, that is amazing. And, and so that led me to connecting with Martha and just loving knowing her and and being around her. And so we wanted to share her with y'all today as we talk about all the things. So welcome, Martha. Thank you so much, Mead and Christy. This is so fun. I've been looking forward to this. It's, it's, it's something where, you know, when we talk about freedom from alcohol, when we talk about life, the things that we get to do as a result. So, you know, we can have this idea when we're starting the journey, if you will, of exploring our relationship to alcohol, we can have this idea that like, and one of the stories that kept me stuck is that life wouldn't be fun anymore, that it would be, you know, that, oh my gosh, it would be miserable in fact. And, and so we talk about like these things that we get to do as a result of being free from alcohol, changing those stories. And I'm just not sure there's anybody who makes freedom from alcohol look more fun than Martha, right? Y'all like if you're not following her on Instagram, <laughs> go follow her because yeah, you're just the, the, the play, the fun, the adventure, the travel. Yeah. 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 It's just something that I think really does a nice job of. So why don't you kind of share with us, you know, like how did you get to this point to where you're able to share what this looks like, how fun it is? I love this topic. There's so much fun stuff to dig into. And I am right as we're speaking, I'm in that wine cellar space where I did that alcohol experiment when I first got certified, but you got right to the heart of what my biggest fear was about just questioning alcohol at all. I didn't, I didn't question it. I was in the thick of it. I was literally juiced in wine. This was my life. It was my entire identity. It really felt like it defined me. So I was the, you know, what just, I felt like I was creating community. And that's where this got very confused for me. But I was constantly pulling groups of women together around wine. And the wine business that my husband and I founded was very, this isn't a a kind of faceless corporate wine entity that this was very personal and family focused and really event heavy. So in any given year, I was hosting at least a hundred events. Wow. And so wow. it was, you know, just in a lot of hospitality and these socializing 
all the time. So it was so wrapped up in wine. And I really didn't know how to tease apart my identity from that. And so that really, of course, just kept me so stuck. Who am I if I'm not the one that's inviting you over to introduce you to these really rare and family-made champagnes from specific villages in France? Uh, we were really education-focused, so it was all about you know the learning about this. So absolutely, that was a huge fear of mine. And I, I know the thought in my head sounded something like, Life without wine, without champagne is gray. There will be no sparkle. And I believed that. I believed that like I believe the sky is blue. So I can really identify, you know, if there's anyone listening that says, yeah, but I love my wine clubs and my wine drinking friends. I just don't want to give that up. I can really relate and share with you how I went through that process and, and what the special challenges were about that. And one of the greatest gifts that I have a feeling you both know all too well is how exciting this is. One of the greatest gifts is realizing how wrong I was, just how flat out wrong I was. And that sounds challenging or sounds unpleasant, and it's the polar opposite. When we realize how wrong we are about the idea that life without alcohol is no fun, it opens up the entire world to us because you suddenly think, oh my gosh, if I was that wrong about this, what else is possible? It's almost like you don't fear anymore. You feel like, well, what is there to get worried about? What is there to get anxious about? I still find ways to be anxious or worry, you know, here and there. But I, I think really and truly it has resulted in me feeling so much freedom to say, yeah, what else am I, do I have totally dead wrong? So that, yeah, that's, that is that's so I mean. true. Something that has, I, I'm not someone that loves to be wrong. That's something I work on. It's a tendency I have and it's something I work hard on, but you're exactly right. It's the, there's so much freedom in finding the actual truth that I was wrong in all of those stories that kept me stuck, including that life would be miserable without alcohol. Oh, I love Absolutely. what you just said. Yeah. So the first thing that I really did, I felt like because of that intense identification with, with wine and this lifestyle, I had... I, you could say a challenge, but really a unique opportunity to dis, just dig in and say, what does it mean to be a great host? What does it mean to be a great guest? And then what does it mean to be a person that is a bit of a hedon and really enjoys pleasure and values pleasure in, you know, in life. And that's been a huge part of my journey. It's one of the things that I love helping my clients, you know, explore. And it's really an exploration. We make this fun. I have a very strong emphasis in my work with clients on making this fun. We're not, we're not, you know, making this journey and this huge change in our lives, this very radical, badass counterculture change 
to, you know, enjoy life less. <laughs> so this has to be about fun. And I'm just a big believer that it doesn't have to feel heavy and like work, but it gets to gets to feel like an exploration and something interesting and fascinating. So I had fun exploring that question of, gosh, what? You know, if I think about being a hostess and I'm, you know, so scared that being a hostess means me pouring out these rare bubbles and exploring, well, what do, you know, what do I love in a host, you know, what makes an experience memorable? When have I been the recipient of some really beautiful, radical hospitality? Maybe looking back and thinking about, I can remember it from 20 years ago, from 30 years ago. What was it about that? And asking those same types of questions about being a guest. I've had clients who were facing a big dinner that was going to be very wine focused. And that's why they've invited us over and they love their wine club. And I'm worried I'm going to be a bummer because I'm not drinking. And then just guiding that person through their own exploration of, you know, what do you love about someone that comes over to your house and made you feel good right away? Because the minute you invited them, they said, absolutely, you're inviting me. I'm down. I'm there. I'm there for you. They showed up with their whole selves and their whole presence. They were really there. They were interacting with other people. They asked questions. They were, you know, curious and interested and, and just present. They appreciated it and, you know, let you know that, that they appreciate that time and effort. So in thinking about what I treasure in a guest, someone I want to have around, that helped me realize that it just had nothing to do with alcohol. So good. And as you were saying that, Martha, I was just thinking to myself, you know, it's so interesting that you can have a host that can be pouring you drinks and not have any of those qualities that you just listed. Like I literally, that's the first thing I thought. I thought to myself, I've been to a lot of parties with hostesses and hosts that have touched up my glass and then that's it, right? It's That's what it's about. It's not about the connection and it's not about everything you just said, which is so interesting. Yeah, I've been in a kind of group conversation where I asked everyone to share a memory they had of being the recipient of some really beautiful or radical hospitality. And it was so fun to hear people, you know, there's answers coming in, things like, you know, someone shared their family tradition from a different culture, or they remembered my food preference, or they put some sweet little thing next to the bedside table in the guest room. All these really beautiful things, a, a slow cooked meal. And not one person said alcohol. Not one person had a recollection where the beautiful memory of hospitality was all about alcohol. So these are the kinds of things. And the, and the reason we do this is for anyone listening, you know, it is totally normal and expected for your brain to tell you that we need to drink, that's what we need to be pouring, we need to be drinking, that that's what a guest does, that's what a host does. And it's really normal because 
the brain is always looking for evidence that supports its belief. And it's almost like our brain will then have blinders on and it will ignore all the other evidence. So it's going to completely ignore the, those stories and anecdotes and beautiful memories when someone was, you know, did something that just warmed your heart and you felt like I so appreciate the way you greeted me, the way you welcomed me, the way you celebrated me, the way you really saw me. Our brains are going to just ignore all that because it has this long time, you know, old belief that's more comfortable, more familiar. So part of this journey is when we have those discoveries, it, it's, it's really helpful to make them more visible. So when I tell you this story and I tell you that I still remember a friend making me this very humble bowl of oatmeal 18 years ago when I was a kind of, you know, harried mom. And I, why do I remember that 18 years ago? It was so simple. It was very humble, but it was because she saw me. And she was, she really saw that I, I needed someone to, you know, serve and take care of me for just a second. When I tell you that story, it helps that memory become more evident to my brain and see all these examples of how we really, you know, don't need alcohol and how many instances we really can think of when we've been, you know, had so much fun at an event, had so much fun with our guests and alcohol had nothing to do with it. It's one of my favorite, you know, tactics tools for, for clients when they're coming up on, you know, this vacation or this wedding or this, you know, the, the alcohol-free first time that they're coming into. And they're like, yeah, but I'm worried about this and worried about that. And when I, I love to say like, it's cheesy, but you know, go on a scavenger hunt for the weekend. Like what are the things that you get to do as a result of doing this free from alcohol? And so, or if you're just, you know, exploring still alcohol free, like, you know what it looks like to do this with alcohol. Let's see what it just looks like. Collect that data. What are those things that you get to do? And I think that's where like asking the questions, like you've said, like, what does it, you know, look like to be a good host? What are the things that make that enjoyable? And then being able to, you know, collect that and put it together and, and change the, the belief around it and experience that freedom from being like, okay, yeah, I was wrong. I think that is so, so, so powerful. I love that. Martha, you, I, you had written something and I love this. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk about it a little bit more, but you had said that your relationship or becoming alcohol free, it's not a divorce. It's a conscious uncoupling. Can you say more about what you mean? Well, I'm a big believer in, and, and what's been so important to me on this journey is that I really want to encourage people to realize that they do not have to opt out now, or they haven't lost privileges to the just the world of sensory pleasures. And I really encourage the people that I'm working with to actually double down on all of that sensory pleasure. And we realize that there are so many ways to do that. It just got tangled up in wine, but the, what is one of the beauties of this and, and the true freedoms is realizing that really our, our lives are where we put our attention. 
And, you know, that is what, what our life is. It's the sum of what we're paying attention to. And so in this, this journey and this decision, we realize that we get to use all of our senses when we're not drinking, when we're not numbing. So, you know, it, it is easy to understand how, because of cultural programming, we came to believe that wine and alcohol was all about the good life and appreciating life. In, in fact, what is fun to explore is, is that when we're not numbing our senses, everything is in full color and we get the full spectrum or to me, it feels like I'm getting, you know, just front row seats at, at, you know, at everything. And so that idea that this is not a, a breakup, you know, we didn't lose privileges. This is, you know, this isn't a timeout, you, you know, that you're being asked to be in the corner in some kind of timeout. Um, so it's not about privileges being lost, but saying this really is not allowing me to explore and experience life with all of my senses intact. So in that way, it's not this breakup. It's a very conscious thing to say, I want all of the freedom. I want all of life's sensory pleasures and to be able to have that presence and be able to pay attention and really be very intentional about what I'm putting my attention on. So true. I think that that's something that it's like, I say all the time, I'm like, who knew, you know, like who knew I was missing all this other stuff. You do say that all the time. You say that all the time. Who knew? Who knew? I know it's kind of my thing. Hashtag who knew. I love that. But so true. Who knew? But I think about too, that you're very passionate about sharing too, you know, like you can do wine country free from alcohol and still have an amazing time. Can you share a little bit about what we get to do as a result of doing wine country free from alcohol? Like how does it appeal to all these other senses and what are those things that we get to benefit yeah, from? Yeah, I mean, it is it is so much fun when you stop and realize, okay, wine is an agricultural product and the places that it is, you know, created, made are beautiful settings. And again, I really encourage people to, to, it's what I call reclaiming spaces to experiment and explore with the being in those spaces that you used to associate with alcohol and having a different kind of presence and attention and, and experiencing it with all of the senses. So for instance, there are, I, I guided a group through some, through Oregon wine country and to be able to explore wineries that might have a world-class art exhibit or an olive mill where you can taste olive oils and, you know, discern the difference between different types of olives or a lavender field. And they're making their own products from the lavender 
Nature Trail, you know, was there at one of the wineries that we visited. One of the wineries actually has a, a group tasting room and one of the producers is making an alcohol-free distilled spirit. So we were able to do a really beautiful, fun tasting. And that was an incredible experience because we were the ones, the loudest table. We were, you know, having a great time. The level of service that we were getting, tasting each product individually and then made into an alcohol-free cocktail. That was just a great experience to be in that setting and to, you know, visit a nearby farm and hold baby goats and then to go, you know, taste coffee that's, you know, roasted right there. This where where wine is made, you can count on there being wonderful chefs. So there are all kinds of food tastings. And then you can do hot air balloon rides. You can rent, um, you know, convertible and or there's another winery that has ATV rides through the vineyards. So all these things that we can enjoy in a beautiful setting and, you know, get away from it all and really get, be, be active and just be active in using our senses. So that, those are definitely that, that opportunity is there for us. And that's how I'd love for people to think of this as not only do they not have to give this up, they can honestly think of it as doubling down, <laughs> double down on those things that you love that bring pleasure and that also get us out of our chatty brain. And this is a huge part of why I am such a proponent of, you know, just the fun and play and whatever. As we speak, I'm set up here on my ping pong table. So I'm a, you know, like, you know, these things are important and it gets us out of our chatty brain, out into nature. So for anyone listening, if that feels comfortable for you and people have to, I just advise using your own instinct. If that feels comfortable and safe and interesting and everyone decides for themselves and can maybe take one step at a time if they're curious of how that would feel to be in a winery tasting room or just to be exploring wine country. And I, yeah, no, I was going to say, I really, as a former winery owner, we no longer own a, a winery. We'd had then an import company, but Looking back, I, I really apologize. I've apologized publicly and I'll do it again. We should have had options for people who weren't drinking. And that's super important. Now my big thing is I want to help be a part of a conversation about how we build a better drinking culture. I spend more of my time thinking about how we improve drinking culture, less than thinking about wanting alcohol to not be there. I just rather think about how we improve the culture so that a winery does have options for people that are not drinking. And there's so many great reasons that people are not drinking on any given day and to, to have, you know, to increase the options there. Yeah. You're making me want to 
You're making me want all of us to go to Napa or you guys come over and we'll all go to France together and do that. I mean, it's like there is so much to do. And as you were speaking, I was just remembering I'm just wrapping up with a client who when we started, she knew that she was going to have this super luxurious wine tasting trip with a bunch of people she was being hosted in France. And so we spent a lot of time like talking about the scenarios and all this stuff. And she said that going into the actual watching them, you know, how they make everything and, you know, going through the process of seeing it after having worked together, knowing and then tasting it along the way and knowing when the ethanol is really coming in. She's like, it was literally the most eye opening, enlightening thing to see it from the angle of knowing what ethanol is, how it tastes before, how it tastes after. She was like. I'll never on that, like, you know, she's like, I don't want to drink it anymore. But it was fascinating because I went to the winery. I had a great time and I saw it from a completely different perspective. So that was so interesting to hear when you, yeah. I still love the smell of fermentation. I, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy that, that smell. And when people have what you just said is, is so powerful because it's having those experiences each time we do, it's adding to this body of evidence, like we talked about earlier, and it's adding to your brain's ability to see all this evidence of, oh, that what was so fun was watching this, you know, an older man's hands, these beautiful leathered hands and thinking about how many harvests he'd really seen and taking pictures of, you know, you could almost see the history of this vineyard in his hands or hearing about the story, the family history. We realized that it's the conversations, (laughs) the, the, the people that we meet, the stories. So I love that your your client had that experience and then that really gets filed away the next time the brain goes to predict what is it like to be alcohol free at a winery there's this you know big piece of evidence there so that's how these experiences add up i want to share another experience that was just so fun and you mentioned france i did a tour of speakeasies sort of these little hidden bars in Paris. And what was so fun about that is I went into it just as we would recommend to, you know, the people we work with as clients, just with pure curiosity. Don't make up your mind that this is, you know, has to be the best night of your life, but, you know, don't make up your mind that it will be terrible if you're the only one not drinking. So what was fun about this type of experience is I went alone. And to me, that's a a wonderful way to initiate play and fun. I've discovered that for myself, that when I give myself the opportunity to do things on my own without my spouse or without people that I already know, I put myself in a place where there's an ingredient there where I'm more apt to meet people. And I've found that I really value that. So I I went alone. We met up at night in a public square in the city. And we set out on this little crawl, exploring these hidden bars. So think, you know, telephones outside and hidden doors through kitchens and where you wouldn't expect it. 
And I met people from around the world and I mean, we just all hit it off. We were instantly into, you know, fun, interesting, deep conversations and each spot, my, you know, the peers there were drinking and no one was going crazy, but they were having cocktails at each stop. And at each place, they made me a really attractive, non-alcoholic beverage. And it was such great evidence for my brain to see that we were all having fun. There was no way that someone in the group was going to say, Martha, I'm pretty sure you're having less fun. You know, it just, it just wasn't possible. We were all enjoying ourselves. And it was fun to see what are the elements that make a scene in some of these environments, what were some things we liked about it? So I could notice things like, oh, okay, it feels nice to be in this space where the lights are dimmed, or there is the flicker of candlelight or, you know, some interesting lighting. Or here at this spot, there's some music going, and I can feel what that does to have the music going, and you're kind of straining to hear, and all of that to really notice what that feels like. And, and then just to, to notice, okay, this, this felt secretive and illicit and, you know, these ingredients that we don't always think about. And then, of course, at the end of the night, I had just spent a little bit less than everybody else. And I remembered where we went. So I was, you know, able to say, okay, I can take someone else on this crawl through Paris. So, yeah, that's one example. I, I love that you highlight the, because we, we did a whole episode on like, how could I know that like, I don't want anything to do with alcohol, but yet, and I can know all the bad, I can know how it affects my mind and body and all of those things. And I don't want anything to do with it, but you know, I still find that I'm drinking or I'm still wanting to drink. And I mean, you nailed it with, it's, it's, it's you can have the head knowledge, but it's the experiential knowledge that allows us to really solidify those old beliefs as not true and create those new beliefs that say that like, it's not just that I can do wine country without alcohol and not be hungover. It's I can do wine country without alcohol and experience, you know, the history and the, and the seat. Yeah. I mean, what you just painted the picture of for us so beautifully or going to these speakeasies and exploring this, like it's all of this stuff that I get to do that goes a long way towards changing those beliefs and, um, and I love that you've kind of like highlighted that for our listeners, because I think that's where sometimes it, it's hard to believe that that is something that we can experience along the lines of like play and fun. Like I said, like you are someone that makes it just so like, I love watching what you do. How do you define play or I, I know you talk a lot about like play and the importance of having that. And like, how do you define that? And what does that look like for you and the importance of it? on this continued journey of life. Well, I love that. For the purposes of this conversation, I'm you know using the words play and pleasure and fun somewhat interchangeably. And there are people that have kind of worked on. In fact, there's a, a book that I really have liked, The Power of Fun and How to Feel Alive Again by Catherine Price. And she defines fun as playful, connected flow. Uh, and that really might sound funny for anyone listening that was like, wow, if you need to, you know, 
start defining play or fun that is right there, not fun. (laughs) And um, I do, I want to say that I, I totally get that. And I do think that that is something that I, I, that would have been my first thought. And she makes such a compelling case and my own explorations have made a really compelling case that, that, you know, the other way to look at it is, well, how is it working out for us to not think enough about play, fun? What do I like? Am I getting enough of this in my, in my life or whatever? So that would be the thing to ask yourself by not examining it. How's that working out for me? And so what happens is a lot of people, a lot of people, this is why she wrote the book. A lot of people would say, yeah, I don't know that I'm having enough fun and play in my life. And when did I stop? And when did this thing in my hand, this phone start taking up so much time? And am I really minutes or, you know, hours of some kind of numbing thing? Am I really having fun? And so she happens also to be the author of the book, How to Break Up with Your Phone. And that's really where that exploration started with her with saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, so it started that simply with someone saying, oh, wow, I'm holding in her case, you know, I'm holding my baby. And instead of having this moment, I'm actually looking at some thing on my phone that I got obsessed with, you know, on eBay and blah, 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 you know, and, and just realizing I'm missing a moment kind of back to that thing we were talking about of our, our life is really the sum of what we're paying attention to. What we're paying attention to is our experience of life. So anyway, what, what, how this works for me is that I realized that I had to get over the hump of thinking that, oh gosh, if you have to schedule fun, that can't be fun. Because again, the question is, well, how's it working out for you not to? So what I find is that I like to, and there are all kinds of different types of fun, let's just say. And and there are lots of things where things can happen spontaneously. But the honest truth is, if we think about it, ingredients have to be there for things to be able to happen spontaneously. And so when we, as adults, if we're not, if when we're spending all of our time up in chatty brain, just locked in this portion of our body and forgetting the whole rest (laughs) of our body. So if we're, if we're, that's, I mean, I think that's all of us. If we're spending all our time only locked up in this part of chatty brain, how much room is there for spontaneity? You know, the, that when we're locked up in there with, you know, worries and concerns and comparisons and judgments and everything I'm doing wrong and my to-do list, whatever. So, so I think what happens is that for, you know, most of us, we find that, you know, gosh, you know, the spontaneous stuff, I don't have the right ingredients for that if I'm, you know, all the way up in my head all the time. And it's pretty interesting to think about how humans, it's a very, in the scheme of things, recent issue for humans to have had the luxury of being only up in chatty brain. You know, we used to, as you know, a, a species have to be in our whole body and get out and move and run and chop and hang and, you know, you know, like hanging it up clothes or washing things and all this stuff. 
And it's a very recent issue that we have the luxury of just being sedentary and just thinking, 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 thinking. So in that way, I think of play and movement and, you know, all of that is as essential and getting into something like a game of ping pong, you know, gets you into this playful, connected flow. And what happens is these activities, whether it's a sporting event or getting to a just one night sewing class at your local, you know, art studio or something like that, it really does bring down cortisol and it increases creativity. So there's just tons of science about how essential this is for us to get into these, you know, different states out of our head a little bit and into these other states And, you know, the health benefits are really, really backed up by science. But back to that idea of scheduling, again, what what works for me is just kind of looking at my schedule and saying, you know, maybe maybe it's once a month. I mean, everyone pick depending on what your schedule is like, what your bandwidth is right now, whether you have a, a lot of demands on your time or less, you decide what's right. But if it's if it's it, it could be once a quarter, but if it's once a month or once every two weeks to say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to go sign up for this. And for me, what that actually just really works once I'm signed up for something, I'm going. And so I it could be absolutely anything. It's fun to explore. What does that mean for you? But I went to a, I saw a class at the dance studio that was a just come one time, one class only, learn the choreo to a line dance to cool in the gangs, get down on it. And, you know, of course, I mean, why, why wouldn't you do that? Right. I mean, so, so once I'm signed up, I'm going to go and go by myself and meet some people. Um, And, you know, I've learned in this, that there are different types of fun and each of us respond in different ways, but, but very often novelty is, is a real boost. There's a real mood boost and even a significant dopamine, you know, reaction that we get to doing something new. And that includes meeting new people. That's why I've enjoyed that. So, you know, signing up Airbnb experiences can be a good Uh, outlet for that because, you know, I signed up via Airbnb experiences to learn how to milk a cow. So, you know, among the things that were interesting about that was it got me out of my routine, up at an hour that I normally would not be up, traveling to, you know, an hour away to a family farm and met some other people that I think, you know, were from Brooklyn, New York, and had come out to Oregon and, and then sitting around the kitchen after we'd learned everything and had milked the cow and went through the whole process and then got to drink that milk and eat yogurt. And it was just, you know, fun, funny, weird, you know, muddy, all these kooky things. Um, So there are, you know, ways to just explore and don't be afraid to dabble a little bit. That's not a bad word. I think I had, you know, worried that I, that does that mean that I don't stick to things? No, there's something really fun. If you want to explore something and decide to do a deep dive 
and that's going to be your focus, great. But there is a lot to be said for just trying lots of different things for the sake of just trying them. So those are all things that can go into and be ingredients of ways, you know, to explore fun. The one song dance party is something that is, you know, some a frequent occurrence here in this household. My husband and I have employed this as just a fun little mental health break. So what we love about the one song dance party is it's just one song. You can, you can always make time for that. And then, and, it, and you stick to it. You don't have to be thinking, you know, well, here's a whole playlist or I don't have time for this one song. And you just, you know, goof off for one song. And can things like that feel awkward at first? Totally. <laughs> but, I you know, love just that so try it. much. That, that like, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect little tiny Tina for today. Not that we have to wrap, but because I don't want to, but, but what a great, and then that's something that I know that sitting here at my desk uh, a lot, like just taking a minute, putting on my favorite song, getting up and moving to that music. I mean, that's something though, that I would have said that like four years ago when I was stuck in the drinking cycle, it would have been like, you know, like, you know, or thinking about the idea of like play and fun. I would have, I, this, this is what I would have said. I would have said, Ain't nobody got time for that. I don't have, I don't have time. For, but do you understand all of the things that I have to do before? But like what I would say to that now is like, you don't have time not to incorporate that into your life. Play fun, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's a one song dance break, whether it's roller skating, like you like to do Martha, whether it's adventures, you know, or once a month doing something, it can be, it doesn't have to be something you have to do. You know, like we like to, make change. Like let's do it every single day. No, like starting small and trying something. And then it's like that blank canvas where like, you don't even have to know what is fun and playful yet. You can just try the new thing and see, and then go like, yeah, no, I never want to milk that cow again. Or that was super fun. And I would like to milk another cow or a goat next time or whatever. Exactly. By the way, I have, I didn't sign up to go back to the farm. So there you go. Been there, done that. It was fun. That's it. How how do you know it's something you want to do or not? You try it and decide if it's something you want to do or not. And that is, I think, one of the greatest gifts of being free from alcohol is like, we get to choose what we do and what we want to experience. And like, there's just so much choice. There's so much freedom in, in all of that. And so, um, and and the freedom, the freedom is amazing how we really do feel a physical sense of freedom and the morning. So to be able to sign up to drive and go to the farm early in the morning feels easy and doable and going out late night in Paris felt easy and doable. And I love that. That's that's something I didn't expect to feel as much a profound sense of that, of that kind of freedom. So yeah, I really appreciate that. I love that so much. Before we before we wrap, Martha, will you tell us really quickly about your Forbes article? Because that was so cool. Oh, so I really, because of maybe all this background in hospitality and, and then also I think just a, a little bit of my 
personality of loving. I was a journalist, loved to research and loved to be a resource for people. I really immediately started paying attention to the alcohol-free beverages and what's available and what new products are there. And then the stories behind the producers. So all of that interest and passion I had from the wine industry and what's the story behind this? Who made this? I just applied all of that interest into the non-alcoholic space. And uh, that felt very natural for me. And then I just, it was a very natural impulse to then want to tell other people where, you know, who are the people making these products and what's the context? Why are these products taking off like they are? So I was exploring in the U.S. in my travels, whether, you know, it's Portland is mainly home-based, but also I spent a lot of time in New Orleans and, you know, various, you know, trips to Miami or wherever it was. And then doing that same kind of research and exploration in Paris, where we spend a lot of time, almost half the year, because that's where our daughter lives. So it was in that kind of research and pulling together, you know, meeting producers there and figuring out what were some of the similarities in what was happening there versus the U.S., and it, some of that work and writing I was doing caught the interest of a writer from Forbes. And she interviewed me about how is Paris turning into a destination for non-alcoholic beverages? And it was, it was really exciting because then as a result of that article, I think it even brought some of those producers in Paris together and connected. It was the first time there had been an article that was really witnessing that there was an emerging NA scene in Paris. So it's, it's been really fun and, and really to just kind of see what the differences were and how the French view this and opportunities there. And just that it's, it's similar to the U.S., so a, a younger generation saying, but why does it have to be this one way and aren't there other ways and how can we be really inclusive? That's awesome. So what's our tiny Tina? I've written down a couple tiny Tinas. Schedule your fun. <laughs> Do a one song dance party. But Martha, you get to decide. What's the, what's the tiny Tina? Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, I, those are both completely approved. Those are great ideas. Yeah, I think it is. It is about thinking, thinking about where we put our attention, you know, to have this incredible shift in the experience of our life. So both of those are great ways to do that, to put the attention on a one song dance party and just be fully present for that, or whether it's holding a baby goat and being fully present for that. (laughs) So I think that would be a good tiny Tina. I love that. (laughs) This is such a great conversation. Such a good one. Oh, I loved it. Thank you so much for the invitation to just talk about all the fun ways we can use all our senses and fully embrace 
this luscious life that we have. I want to go on that speakeasy tour of the three of us. Mead, you need to come over next time. Martha's and yes. parents. I'll, tra- I'll take the train over and we'll do it. It'll be so fun. <laughs> that sounds great. Here I am down for that. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Martha. Why don't tell tell our listeners where they can find you on Instagram, your website. Okay, we'll so include that, of course, in show notes. So via my website, and that's clearpowercoaching.com. And that really just came out of what I was really struggling with and looking for when I was questioning my drinking. I knew it didn't feel right. And I really did not feel that I had power and just, and, and really felt like I did not have clarity. Those are the things that I was just craving and praying for. So, uh, so they can find me there. And on my website, not only can you download me, the reference that you refer to is the, you know, you can still enjoy wine country and four other crazy things. No one told me about sobriety, but I also have on my resources page, a listing and sort of a review, my take on some of my favorite non-alcoholic beverages. So that's there. And some of my favorite books, articles, other things. So awesome. Great resource. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that's something, and we can do a whole nother episode on this sometime. I would love have you back and we can get into that because I think, you know, there's a lot of like, can I drink any beverages? Can I not drink any beverages? And being able to, and like, what makes a good one and what, what doesn't and all of those things. Yeah. I love that you have that resource guide on your website and, and you'll need to come back and share all of that with us as well. That'd be awesome. I would love to come back. Let's, let's do an episode on that and how the non-alcoholic beverages allow us to stay in the ritual, stay in the party. So that's, yeah, that's a, a whole episode right there. That would be really fun. I'd love to. That, I'm so glad you said that because when you were talking about wine country earlier, I was like, the ritual is what we really are, are wanting. We just have it coupled with, the, anyway, that, yeah. So for another conversation, we will do that. Thank you, Martha. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Thank you both so much. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week.